The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 194. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page at Brian McClanahan. You can also go to brianmcclanahan.com, give me an email address, and I'll give you a free ebook and a free audiobook of the same title, Forgotten Founders, read by yours truly. That'll get you on the email list. You'll get an email a couple of times a week. If I'm doing promotions, probably a little more than that. So don't don't unsubscribe because I send you a few emails. Hang in there because the emails are worth your time, and there's also goodies in those emails. And so get on the email list, get that free ebook, get that free audiobook. Also, you can support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. And, of course, people who enroll in the academy do get the best deals when new classes come out. And I will have a new one coming out in early 2019, within the first quarter or so of 2019. So be on the lookout for that. But you can also purchase your McClanahan Academy courses. I have five there for as little as 30 bucks for a couple of them, up to $229, depending on the class you want. But these make great Christmas gifts, and I know Christmas is right around the corner. But you can get a McClanahan Academy course, give it as a gift. Um, and make someone happy. Give them the gift gift of education and history for Christmas. So uh, think about that. And also you can get your McClanahan uh, Show gear at redbubble.com. Same thing. Uh, Give the gift of the Brian McClanahan Show. And you can always support the Brian McClanahan Show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. I am doing this twice a week, trying to keep up. And you can also get me three times a week if you want to get the Abbeville Institute podcast. That's at Abbeville, A-B-B-E-V-I-L-L-E, institute.org. And I talk about all things Southern on that particular podcast. So it's a little different uh, look and at some things and what I do over at that organization. But it still is a third Brian McClanahan show, essentially a week. Uh, instead of just the two here at brianmcclanahan.com. All right, well, let's talk about the topic for the day. And I know I have some uh, rock fans out there, some metal fans, and I've always enjoyed metal. I've always enjoyed enjoyed rock. And I'm going to do this particular episode, again, mindful this is a G-rated program, so I'm going to talk about some things that are um, <clears throat> in, in a way that will keep it family-friendly. But I want to talk about um, that genre of music in the modern era and how there are some some bands out there today and I and that that 30 years ago would have been laughed out of existence because people would have said well this is just uh, a, a parody band or a cover band essentially and it doesn't need to exist it's a it's a band that um, uh, would not even cut the mustard 30 years ago and one of those bands is Greta Van Fleet which is making a lot of uh, headlines and they sound just like Led Zeppelin uh, you you could play a Led Zeppelin album, and you could play Greta Van Fleet right next to it, and it would sound like Robert Plant and Jimmy Page have taken their you know they've gone back in time fifty years, and you've got Led Zeppelin from the first couple of albums. Now, if that had happened in the eighties, and and I want to say this because in the eighties you had some bands that did this. You had uh, White Snake, for example, which. Uh, David Coverdale's band, which was always almost accused, or almost always accused, of being a Led Zeppelin ripoff. And in fact, there was an album that came out, I can't remember the year, it was in the early 2000s, it was Coverdale Page. David Coverdale actually cut an album with Jimmy Page, and it sounded a lot like Led Zeppelin. It was just with David Coverdale as a singer. 
But Whitesnake was always panned as being a Led Zeppelin ripoff. And, of course, in 1986, when they had their album Whitesnake, uh, and they had the tune Still of the Night, uh, which was seen as just another Led Zeppelin ripoff. Great tune. I, that's, that's one of my favorite albums from the 80s. But again, uh, it, 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 this was just Led Zeppelin ripoff, where you had a band uh, around that same time called Kingdom Come, and Kingdom Come uh, had a very much sounded like Led Zeppelin. They had a couple of albums there in the in the middle in the mid '80s. You could have put them side by side with a Led Zeppelin record, and it would have sounded just like uh, Led Zeppelin. So we've got these bands, and people are trying to. There's a, there's a nostalgic factor in it. Well, I want to have a band that sounds like Led Zeppelin. There's a band out now that sounds a lot like ACDC called Airborne, uh, which uh, is ACDC really from the mid '70s. Uh, maybe late seventies. It's it's kind of a uh, they're the the fast paced version of ACDC from uh, from their album Highway to Hell or uh, from that period of time. But uh, without question, they are they are modeling themselves after ACDC. And again, a lot of bands would have been panned for that back in the eighties. But because of the nostalgia factor, people like to listen to this stuff. So you're looking for a new band that sounds like that. But I want to talk about this type of music within the context of what it actually is and what Red Van Fleet and what Airborne and some of these newer bands represent, what people are still longing for when they go and they, it's not just nostalgia that they're looking for in these. And, and actually also the recent Metallica album, um, which, you know, Hardwired, which sounded a lot like 1987, 88 Metallica and what's going on there. Um, people are looking to go back to that 80s feel. Um, and the, the fans want it, the general population wants it, but it's what that time period represented, I think, in, in Western civilization from that late 60s into the 80s, about a 20-year period and what was going on there. So I want to put all this in historic context for fun and talk about how this music affected Western civilization. I have some friends who really don't like metal. They think it's awful. Uh, they think that it's an abomination. That uh, and they're they're classical music fans, and my response to that has always been, well, you know, if if Bach, who was an innovator, but particularly Mozart, who was a real innovator, had been alive today, they would have at least been, I believe, interested in metal. And if you go back and listen to uh, the uh, not the first Metallica album, but the second and the third, Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets, there is a symphonic quality to those albums, and that's because Cliff Burton, who was the bass player at the time was really interested in classical music. He forced the, his band members to listen to Beethoven and Mozart and Bach, and he drew inspiration from that in the rhythm of those particular albums. And you can hear it. When you, when you hear some of those tunes, you can hear the symphonic quality. And I remember back in the late 90s or so, early 2000s, Metallica actually did an album with a symphony. And that was kind of unique and hip at the time. But let's put a, let's put a metal band with a symphony and uh, we'll make it sound like something that's different. The Moody Blues used to do this too. Uh, they, they used to get with a symphony orchestra, and they would they would do their show, and uh, it had that feel to it. And I think that's because and the Moody Blues were not a metal band, but certainly when you listen to some of these metal bands, you can you can hear that symphonic quality, and I'm going to talk about that too. But let's start with the major critique of metal as the death of Western civilization, first and foremost, is anti-Christian. That is usually one of the... And I remember when I was a kid, you know, you don't want to listen to metal because it's anti-Christian. 
Uh, it's just a bunch of people that are worshiping the occult or one of these things. So metal is for a bunch of anti-Christian bad people. This is the only people that listen to metal. <clears throat> the second critique is often that it was decadent, uh, that these guys were just not good people. They, they were anti-Christian, but then because of that, they were into all kinds of horrible things, all kinds of immoral things in society, and they advocated those immoral things through their music. And while certainly you can say that, I mean, if you listen to some of these bands I'm going to talk about and you listen to the music, yes, a lot of it is decadent. It is immoral. Uh, but I'm going to put that within the context of the time as well, and I think why that was happening. It wasn't, it wasn't because of the 60s. I think it was because of the 1940s, and I'll get into that. So you have those true critiques of, of metal, and uh, certainly you can find, particularly nowadays with the anti-Christian uh, part of it, there are uh, all kinds of offshoots that are decidedly anti-Christian, uh, and there's no doubt about that. And uh, you can argue that a lot of these bands, particularly the glam metal bands, or glam rock bands, or uh, the hard rock bands that I'll get into, a lot of them were extremely decadent. Uh, and extremely individualistic and in, in the in in a in a decadent way and uh, immoral, uh, but again that reflected an, an angst uh, with the time period in which they were living, and it wasn't just a critique of Western moral values, but there was some there was a bigger thing going on here that I think forced a lot of people into looking at the world the way they did, and it was a full expression I think in many ways of the Enlightenment. Uh, and the Enlightenment being carried forward into pop culture. And you find this, for example, with Mozart and the Magic Flute. I think you can, you can look at uh, the Enlightenment affecting popular music at that time. The Magic Flute was a popular uh, opera. Um, and so Mozart was certainly interested in popular music. And uh, that became part of this drive to produce more and more music that the wider audience would like to listen to. Uh, it wasn't as complex, a little more simple. The themes tended to be maybe a shade salacious, a shade immoral. Uh, they were critiquing the aristocracy. There was a certain anti-government tone to it, things of that nature, that maybe uh, people would, would agree with. Uh, and eventually, when you get to the 1960s and 70s and 80s, you find a strain of that which becomes heavy metal and uh, hard rock. And the three big bands that started that whole process, of course, were Black Sabbath, which was Ozzy Osbourne, uh, and Tony Iommi were the two uh, main uh, uh, members of Black Sabbath. Only four-member band, but these two guys really drove the music. Uh, you had Led Zeppelin, and you had ACDC. All three of these bands were not from the United States, but all three of these bands were heavily influenced by American music. And when I say American music, I'm talking about blues and jazz. And the thing that made these this music unique, first and foremost, both Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin started out as blues bands. And when you listen to Led Zeppelin, their first album or even their second album, there are blues songs on that album. But uh, Black Sabbath started out as a blues band. They couldn't do it. And so they did something else. And of course, Tony Iommi, with his uh, hand being the way it was, learned to play these power chords and they toned down, they turned down the distortion on the on the amplifiers, and it sounded heavy. That's why it had this drudgy kind of sound to it. It was a clunking sound, and it was deep, and you 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 distorted it, and it sounded really cool. And so they put into that themes of the supernatural, the occult, 
And same thing with Led Zeppelin. I mean, the entire band name, Led Zeppelin, it sounds like a, a, a lead balloon. Uh, and you had uh, Jimi Hendrix playing a sound that was a little different. Of course, Hendrix from Seattle, Washington, uh, but playing a sound that was heavier. And so you had this, this feel to it, a, a heavy blues feel. And that became the basis of heavy metal and hard rock music. And then ACDC just sped it up a little bit. And they had the power chords with the blues riffs. I mean, Ace, uh, Black Sabbath did this too in several of their tunes. But they had the power chords and the blues riffs, and it just punched. This became white working class music. It's all it was. It's white working class music. There were themes that were attractive to white working class Americans and Europeans. And eventually, if you look at some of the things, even the themes of the occult that you find in Led Zeppelin, for example, the immigrant song uh, that has the reference to Norse mythology, or Stairway to Heaven, which certainly is not anti-religion. Um, it is a song that, spe- it's, as Robert Plant says, it's a song of hope. And of course, a lot of people would say, well, then these, you know, these uh, songs lent to drug use and other things. Um, and certainly you had that as part of the 1960s, as part of the social experience of the 1960s. And then moving forward, I mean, even Black Sabbath even sang about uh, particular types of illicit drugs. But uh, moving forward, of course, that would become part of the, of the perception of all these people that listen to this stuff. These people are all just uh, immoral individuals. But this, these, type, these three bands then became the uh, grandfathers, so to speak, of all kinds of offshoots of these things. Uh, so, for example, um, the um, progressive rock was certainly part of it. Um, you know, the uh, hard rock of, say, uh, Van Halen was certainly part of this. Uh, for example, so uh, power metal, which was a big deal uh, in Europe and still is a big deal in Europe, became an offshoot or was an offshoot of Black Sabbath, kind of a mixture between uh, Black Sabbath and uh, Led Zeppelin, and then maybe a little bit of punk. But it, but particularly with the band Iron Maiden, you had a an, a supreme understanding of Western civilization. If you listen to Iron Maiden albums particularly those with Bruce Dickinson as the singer. Uh, you see, number one, a reverence for Western civilization and literature and the heroic deeds of Western civilization. Uh, you find that it is something that is completely enthralled with the stories of the West and what makes a hero. And this is why the white working class was drawn to this stuff. Remember, uh, you know, the, the, and I should say white male working class music more than anything else. One of the things Frederick Jackson Turner talked about when the frontier closed in America is that that restless spirit of America was now gone. And you look at de Tocqueville and what he said about Americans and how they would go out and they would move to an area and they would build a house and not get it finished and already move on to somewhere else. That was the male hormone, what we often consider to be ADHD. I hear it all the time. Well, I've got ADHD. What you have is the male hormone. Uh, the male hormone is always looking for something else. It's always looking for a new conquest, uh, something else to occupy its time, a new challenge, a new adventure. And that's all ADHD is. What we do now is we over-medicate males because they're acting like males. Uh, males, uh, unless they're really interested in a topic, have a hard time focusing on things because there's always something else on their mind that's diverting their attention away from that into something they might find more interesting. 
And so you have this with, with metal music, the things that drive it. It could be violent, and the male hormone can be violent. It can be driven by women, and of course, males looking to conquer women. Uh, and that's where that decadence comes in with a band like Van Halen. All that was was one big party and uh, an attempt to woo women. I mean, we, we think this is great in the animal world when we see a bird sitting out there flicking out its feathers and doing a dance and doing a little song to attract a female bird. Well, that's what 1980s glam metal and hard rock was. It was a man putting on his feathers. I loved it. Uh, um, the uh, One of the guitarists... Uh, of of the 1990s, even though it was the 90s. And I'll get into the, how the 90s messed everything up, but he was a guitarist for the band Jane's Addiction for a time. And anyways, he said that when he put on his, his costume, when he went on stage, he called it peacocking because it was fluffing out your feathers and doing a dance and playing your guitar, which had this energy to it in his mind, which was going to attract females. And Gene Simmons of Kiss said he never strapped a, never strapped his bass guitar on without wanting to attract females. That was the whole point behind it. It was to put your feathers out and do a little dance and sing and try to get the females to like you. And this is what that hard rock music became. This is what uh, David Lee Roth embodied on stage. And not just that. When you look at Eddie Van Halen and the solos and that that individualism of what that is, it is the guy that can shred and play the best is going to get the most women. That was the whole point. Uh, and so you had this energy in it. And then you have things like, uh, as I said, Metallica or Iron Maiden. And of course, ton- I'm just using you know prominent bands, but tons of other bands that would do the exact same thing. And the point was either getting the women, or as Metallica pointed this out, they they talked about Motley Crue at the time and how Motley Crue was about the women, and Metallica just wanted to rule the world. It was that masculine drive uh, to dominate, and it was in your face. It was aggressive. Uh, Pantera was a nice example of that, the vulgar display of power, and on the cover you had a guy getting punched in the face. It was this aggression that you had, this pent-up aggression. Men couldn't go out anymore because society had constrained men. They couldn't go out in the woods and they couldn't do these things. They couldn't be men. And they were now now being told that it's, it's if you're too hyper, you've too, got too much energy, you're, you're acting too much like a boy, you can't do that. But the music and moshing and hitting somebody in the face and that aggression, that was something that allowed men to get that out boys to get that out. They had it, and they needed that aggression. It's something that they couldn't help. You just had it. Uh, and so when you have songs about dying with your boots on and Alexander the Great uh, and you know Run to the Hills and, uh, and uh, Hallowed Be Thy Name and all these, and then, of course, Metallica, Disposable Heroes and these songs, Battery, which is just a boom. It's in your face. It's very aggressive and pounding. It gets into that core of what... This white working class male angst was all about. They could see society closing on them. When men had farms, when men could go out hunting all the time, there was a different acceptance. And I think this is why most of the time metal was an urban, more than anything else, an urban phenomenon, because these men couldn't go out and do these things. If you go out to the country, what you found among males generally were men that liked country music. 
country music had a lot of the same themes. It was about, you know, getting the girls. It was about, uh, you know, hunting. It was about the violence. It was about those things that men like to sing about and heartbreak, all the things that men had. But it had a different feel to it because they had those outlets. They had the things they could do. It was a little more relaxed. It wasn't so aggressively pent up as you found in metal. And in the context of all of this, I think the other issue going on here in the 1980s, particularly in the 80s and the 70s, was the Cold War. The prospect that tomorrow we could all be annihilated by a nuclear bomb. It was there all the time. People knew it. So there was this palpable fear. You had duck and cover drills. You had, uh, you had uh, popular media, whether it was movies or books, talking about the inevitable destruction of man. And so why not party right now like there's no tomorrow? Let's go have a great time. Let's do all these immoral things because it doesn't matter. We're all just going to die in a big old nuclear firestorm anyways. Uh, and so I think that was also part of it. The Cold War inspired the decadence of the 1980s and the decadence of 1980s music when it came to, uh, again, bands like Van Halen. Uh, and one of my favorites from the 80s, uh, you know, Motley Crue, but one of my favorites from the 80s, they're still around, but they had a great album uh, back in the uh, in the mid-80s. One album, The Bullet Boys. I mean, this was just complete pent-up, I'm going to shake my moneymaker kind of thing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to peacock out there. I'm going to do this. Uh, or you've got, um, uh, as I said, Motley Crue, you've got uh, Skid Row, which was kind of like that. Skid Row was a little bit getting into a little bit, a little harder, but you got Warrant. You have all these bands. I mean, this, was, this became Poison, uh, Don't Need Nothing But a Good Time. This was a type of feeling to it that you had as a byproduct, I think, very clearly, of the 80s decadence. And it had that individualism to it. Again, even Poison. C.C. DeVille, who is the lead guitarist for Poison, is a fantastic guitar player. This guy can really play. And you find that. The influence there, of course, is blues, but also jazz. Uh, Because jazz was all about showing off. And so you had that in metal, too. How many guitar solos can we have? And, of course, people started making parodies of this. You had Spinal Tap and making fun of it. But how many guitar solos can we have in a a song? And, of course, you also saw this in things like Southern Rock, uh, which you had Leonard Skinner, for example, with three guitar players, and each guy had to have a solo. And But this, it was all about precision and how good you were. And, again, the best, this was highly individualistic, and it was who could be the best band, the battle of the band concept. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna outdo every other band on the stage. We're gonna be the ones that go home with all the girls. We're gonna be the ones that uh, sell a million records because our musicians are better than the other guys, and we can put together better songs. We can rule the world, or we can sing the songs that all the people are gonna sing along with, and they're gonna want to buy a million of our of our records, and we're gonna we're gonna do that. So this is all part of that of that process of the '80s, this decadence. Uh, but these songs had a had a reason for them, and it wasn't the '60s. It I mean, you can you can go back and say, well, it's the '60s ruined all this. I mean, the '60s music '60s music was folk music. I mean, that was you know when people think of the hippies, this is what they think of. Uh, they, they don't think of anything Black Sabbath or Led Zeppelin. They think of something else. They think of Joan Baez and the Mamas and the Papas and Bob Dylan. Uh, they think of that of that f- American folk sound, uh, which was not very aggressive at all. 
But then out of the 60s, you also get Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin, and then in the early 70s, ACDC. And that was something else. And I think there's that's, it's a reaction to this, too. It's There's this angst there because these guys are like, yeah, okay, we can, you know, Led Zeppelin sing, th- sings about going to California and getting flowers in your hair. But on the other hand, uh, th- their stuff is in your face heavy at times. Um, you know, it's 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 whole lot of love. Uh, it's uh, it's black dog. It's these things that are uh, certainly uh, much different. And then of course, ACDC ramps it up a notch, and uh, so does Black Sabbath. So um, that's you've got that. Now, what happened? What happened to all this stuff? What happened? Why did everything slow down? What happened to metal? Well, then the answer is the '90s. And as I've already discussed in an episode on the Brian McClanahan show, the '90s are really the decade that as a turning point in a negative way for the future of America. And that's because in the 90s, you got to think about, you know, 1968, if you were 18 in 1968, you're almost 50. Uh, you are 50 in, in, in 1998. Uh, and so, uh, I'm sorry, 40, you're, you're 48 in, in 1998. You're, you're almost 50. So now you're the guy, you're the lady in 1998. You're the old hippie. You're in your 40s. Uh, here we are, you know, almost uh, we're, we're 30 years, uh, 20 years beyond that now, 20 years beyond 98. Now you're in your 60s, uh, but, you know, you're, you're, you're running things now. And, of course, the people that you're teaching are becoming infatuated with the 60s, but they're infatuated with that light part of the 60s in terms of music. I remember, uh, you know, in, in the, when I was, of course, I was growing up at this time, and bands like the Grateful Dead, which that was a different part of the '60s. The, the Doors. I remember, you know, the the the, the Van, uh, Val Kilmer Doors. This became the '60s that people got. It wasn't Led Zeppelin. It wasn't Black Sabbath. It wasn't AC/DC in the early '70s. It was the Doors and the Grateful Dead, and Joan Baez and Bob Dylan and the Mamas and the Papas. This was the '60s that everybody got. And then, of course, you get the social aspect of it, this revolutionary social aspect, and you fuse those two things together, and you get bands like Stained, which is the most depressing, ear-splitting, want-to-poke-your-eyes-out-with-a-spoon music you've ever heard in your life. It is filled with social ad- uh, social anxiety, uh, but in a way that's self-loathing social anxiety. Uh, it's not... Uh, I, I've got social anxiety, so I'm going to peacock. It's I've got social anxiety, so I'm going to curl up in a ball and sit in the corner and talk about uh, you know uh, depressing things. Uh, that's the social anxiety of bands like Stained and Corn and all these other uh, you know post grunge bands of the '90s uh, and that that early grunge era, Soundgarden and Alice in Chains. They were still straddling metal. They were still metal bands, but they were going in a little different direction. But by the time you get to the mid '90s and you get that post grunge period, it just became awful. Uh, the late 90s in particular were just horrendous when it came to uh, this stuff. And that's because you had that, I think, this soft, the softening of, of men by the middle of the 90s. You, couldn't, you, you didn't want to do a solo anymore. Solos were seen as too individualistic. Solos were seen as something that you didn't want to do because, well, that showed off too much. And we're not going to show off. We're going to be good commies. Everybody's just going to play a few chords and we'll have something. And we'll go. So there's no, there's no uh, solos at all. Uh, I think some of the bands that did a good job with the Smashing Pumpkins still played solos and some things. And they were still very heavy. Uh, but you start seeing this, this, again, even in that, you've got this kind of social anxiety to it, uh, which is different. 
So the 90s are the, are the decade, and of course Metallica comes out with an album in early 90, 91, the Black Album, which slows everything down. Then they've got the albums from the 90s, which were just complete junk. Uh, there's maybe five songs that are even worth listening to on those middle 90s albums, and I think they realized it. When you got to, to, to the last uh, couple of albums, they turned the corner and went back to something that was cooler. It was that white, working-class, male, angst-driven music. Hardwired to self-destruct, but I mean it's it's in your face. Um, it, it's something that they were doing on and justice for all. Uh, and of course, Iron Maiden uh, still was putting out albums. And you know these power metal bands. One of my favorite is Gravedigger from Germany because they do these these thematic albums. Uh, you've got bands like Rebellion and all this stuff which is out there now, which is symphonic and certainly tied into Western civilization. And that's cool stuff. So it's still there. People still want it. And then people are realizing, even these bands that have got very big, hey, you know, it's cool to go back to the stuff because this is what drove us. This is what gave us fans. We do all this so... I mean, I remember Lars, Lars Ulrich from Metallica saying that uh, Coldplay was the greatest band of all time. I mean, I don't know what the guy was thinking, uh, but he never would have said that uh, in the 1980s. They would have been making fun of Coldplay the entire time. Um, so it's just, it's funny how these things work out. Uh, but certainly I think when you look at metal music and you look at where it comes from and you look at why it was the way it was or hard rock music, you've got the Cold War, you've got uh, this urban middle class male dominated music um, and, it, and it showed, it allowed males to express themselves. Uh, in a way that, uh, of course, a lot of people find destructive. A lot of people find um, repulsive or immoral or aggressive. And it could be all of those things. But it was an outlet for men. It was an outlet for boys who uh, had a lot of anxiety and not anxiety like they wanted. They wanted it. They, it was, what can I do to get the girls? What can I do to show my, my masculine side? Uh, I'm going to put this music on and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to play football. And I'm going to ram into somebody. It was these kind of things that made you feel like a man. Uh, and we've lost all that. I mean, we've, we've made it to where everything is soft, but I think there still is a certain part of the population that wants a return to these type of things. They seek it, they want it, they desire it, and that's where metal fits in in the historic context. And of course, then you also had the Cold War with that and how that made people nervous, uh, suspect of, of government. Uh, one of my favorite uh, Sacred Reich songs, this uh, metal band, is Independent. That's uh, this distrust of government, distrust of leaders. This is Black Sabbath war pigs. I mean, you had this stuff to it, too, where you had certainly the, the people that were cannon fodder, disposable heroes. This was the thing. Nuclear war. What's going to happen to us? So we're going to party all the time, and we're going to voice our displeasure with the current regime. We're going to be heard. And we're going to, to be men. And that's why I've always enjoyed metal music, uh, because it has that side to it. I also love Southern rock and country and all, the, all that, too. I, I think that side of, of working-class music is just beautiful. Blues music, jazz music for the same reason, because of the art, artistry in jazz music, particularly Dixieland jazz. Um, you have all of that in it. But that period of, of metal, and this is why I don't understand why people don't get it, uh, and why they can't see what it actually is. And it's really an embodiment of Western civilization. So if you're not a metal fan, 
Um, I, there are a lot of great metal bands out there that would be, you could even play the songs around kids because they don't have anything bad in them. Uh, maybe, you know, it's a few Iron Maiden tunes because they, they talk about history or some of these. So you have some of that out there. Um, but, uh, of course, some of it is is awful. Uh, but there's uh, there's no doubt that there are some some uh, bands that uh, are worth your time to listen to if you're a music aficionado and you don't listen to these things. So that's my take on on those. I, I, thank you for bearing with me and in, in doing something a little different on this show. But I did want to bring in some historical context and uh, talk about this type of music within that within that uh, regard. I'll see you next time on the Brian McLean Show.